Coming to you from the greatest city in the world, this is the number one showbiz podcast. It's Talk for Two. Here's your host, Matt Bailey. Thank you so much, Gary, and thanks, as always, to our season sponsors, Axtel Expressions and the Tangent Bound Network. Find fantastic podcasts at tangentboundnetwork.com, and all your entertainment needs are at axtel.com. Today, we welcome film and television composer Joel J. Richard to the show. Richard has scored many well-known television series, including my favorite, Quantico, and Pretty Little Liars. Pretty Little Liars, I can't tell you how many people at my school, at my college, are obsessed with that show. However, Richard is most well-known for composing the score to the action thrillers John Wick and this year's John Wick Chapter 2. Richard spent nearly an hour with me discussing what he loves about composing, how he approaches each project, and why scores help tell each film's story. I gotta tell you, you can hear how passionate and excited Joel is about getting to do this kind of music, make this kind of music for a living. I love it. I love it. You could hear it because he don't shut up. And that I say that's a wonderful thing. I love it whenever a guest comes on. They can spend a lot of extra time. We spent about 50 minutes talking. He spent a lot of extra time. And he kept checking it. Am I being too rambly? No, 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 no. I love it whenever a guest is off and running, talking about what they love. It makes my job so much easier. I kept checking in, making sure he could stay because I was really, really enjoying hearing what he was talking about. It was really, really wonderful. Of course, we also talk in depth about working on the John Wick films, since the sequel has been dominating at the box office. Now, I'm going to throw it to the interview now, because we got so much ground to cover, and it's a really long interview. So here now to tell us why naps are important for creative people, our interview with Joel J. Richard. Welcome to Talk For Two. How are you today, sir? I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. How about yourself? I'm great. Thank you so much for being here. Well, obviously, John Wick 2 is out. You were the composer for the film. I'm curious, though, before we get to talking about your resume, how did you become interested in music and interested in composing for media, especially? Uh, You know, I mean, music is something that since I was a small child, I think it really stemmed from my grandparents had... Uh, guitar and piano in the house, and I just, I don't know, I was always fascinated with just making noise, I think. I mean, I really wasn't making music, I would say. Um, <laughs> so, I just, I like the tactile aspect of messing around with instruments, and it just, I don't know, it somehow I was always gravitated towards it. And, uh, and then, yeah, I don't know, just over the years, just as a kid, I just found myself um, wanting to listen to music all the time, and that led to wanting to play instruments, and uh, I got a, had a clarinet when I was very young and then traded that in for a guitar. And then uh, as far as when it came to, I guess, working in film and television, it really was, as uh, a kid, I just, you know, I had purchased a four-track. I had saved up into this four-track kind of cassette recorder. And I was playing in bands, and I, I did that in, you know, in my teens into my early 20s. Um, and I, I, when I would leave band practice, I would kind of always go and just make stuff. And a lot of it was kind of a little more abstract or trip hop experimental. And then I started, uh, listening more and more to just orchestral music. And I don't know, I just kind of, I think I've always had uh, an interest in a lot of different types of music. So, um, I started noticing more and more that, you know, some of the stuff I was doing seemed like it would perhaps work under, you know, uh, in a film. And then uh, an odd movie, of all movies, most people reference something like Star Wars being the, the key thing that, that turned them on to film music. While I probably like yourself and most people in the world, yes, you know, Star Wars and Indiana Jones and these iconic John Williams scores were something I was very much aware of and, and loved as a kid. It was, at the time for me, uh, a film called Forces of Nature. Huh. This, um, God, I think it's Ben Affleck and... Sandra Bullock kind of rom-com that had uh, that John Powell, who years later I would I would go work for, he had done a score that was this kind of I don't know this fusion of trip hop and atmospheric textures and the orchestra at times and it just kind of it was it just resonated with me at the time with some of the stuff I was doing and that kind of made me go oh maybe this is this is a, a career path I I wasn't really sure. 
And then uh, when I went to school, um, I had uh, I was in an art class, and I had been taking music classes, but I was doing my music homework in the art class. And a student who was sitting next to me named Jody said, hey, you know, you write music. I'm in the film uh, program, and I need some music for a film that I'm doing. Could you, you know, do something for me? And that kind of led me into that direction. And then the professor for that department said, hey, you know, we have lots of projects and um, lots of students that need films, and we have a TV, uh, kind of a documentary-style TV series we put out each week. Could you kind of come over here? become a film major, but just primarily write music for all our projects. <laughs> and so I That's did great. make two films, but I, I, I think a lot of the students, unfortunately, might have been resentful of me because I kind of didn't have to go to class. I wasn't fully required at times because the professor, there was essentially there was a recording studio and a good size one. I mean, it had a, I can't remember, a 16 or 24 track um uh, analog tape machine, analog consoles, full control room. It had a live room where if you wanted, you could record. You could probably, I mean, I still think you could probably fit 20, potentially 30 players in there if my memory serves correctly. But I was recording bands and things um, at the time. But uh, I essentially was given kind of free reign of that place in the recording studio. And there was an engineer who managed it uh, named Rich who kind of really helped me learn how to use the equipment and send me on my way to just sort of be endlessly experimenting and recording and then applying it to all of these student films and this TV thing. And then that kind of just opened my eyes up to, I don't know, just that world and, and, you know, trial and error and figuring things out. And then I said, you know, I don't know, this seems like something I want to do and give it a shot. And at the same time, I was always really interested in audio engineering. So I went to school for that as well. And then I came out to Los Angeles and then it became the pursuit of just being involved in uh, initially just film, but then that kind of branched out to television as well. So yeah, because, kind of the gist of it. Because nowadays it seems, and I, th- and I think you could talk about this certainly from a composition side, because I think music is a large part of why we have this feel, that television and film, are, are there's no difference in quality anymore in terms of the production on any aspect of it. Uh, 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 the score you might do for Quantico is the same kind of quality that you would do for, for the John Wick films. Yeah, I, mean, I think, I mean, you're right, where the, the medium itself has changed as far as the quality. And I don't know if, I mean, it, perhaps a lot of it has to do with just um, everything moving to a digital platform, you know, getting, you know, TV shows don't necessarily have to use film the way they used to. The budget, you can, I don't know, it just seems like especially, I mean, you even see indie films out there that look fantastic sometimes. I mean, just... Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen people, there's, um, I forgot what, it's a Canon Rebel something camera. A friend of mine had shot something on, and, you know, it was, I don't know, it was an eight or $900 camera. And uh, he made a music video for himself, or, or he has a, a director that did it for him. And I was blown away by just the quality of it. So I feel like, not, and that's not to say that that's what they're using for television production, but just the yeah. idea that because you can do so much more, I feel like, with your dollar these days, that the quality of, uh, television production has gone up tremendously. The ability to create music that sounds cinematic and, and at a higher quality is easier to do now than ever because of technology. And then there's, you know, I think the explosion of the cable networks, it's just, I don't know, it opened up a platform, especially with, uh, I mean, with American Horror Stories, on, I think it's effects. And, you know, there are all these channels that are just somehow free from just having to make content that is uh, goes by the Nielsen ratings. So the, just the quality of, um, or, or I'm not saying just the quality, it's just, it's, I, I feel like the writers have been able to expand upon maybe some of the confines of what they had to do, you know, or what they were structured. I don't know if this makes any sense, but essentially like maybe 15, 20 years ago, they just didn't have the opportunities to do some of this more cinematic stuff for television. Now there's, there's a there's a place for it, and um, so I think it's made it so that. And I, I feel like also with um, film and TV actors, it seems like it's just everything is being cross pollinated these days. So mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. It's a great time as far as to be involved in it, and, and I personally enjoy bouncing back and forth. Uh, you know, there are pros and cons to working in film and television, and um, and it's nice to be able to kind of just you know bounce around. Musically, what's what's the main difference for you as a composer between the two ever 
you know, ever symmetrical mediums. What, what's the uh, what's what's the main difference for you and and the work that you have to do? Well, you know, it, it depends on what TV show I think to a certain degree and what network it's airing on. Um, if it's something like HBO where there aren't commercial breaks, personally, I think that you know HBO Showtime, any any channel where there aren't commercial breaks, I I think the scores can be more in, in the vein of a film score to some degree. but and, and then in more network TV or any channels where there are commercials, there's that uh, tendency where so many shows, you know, you're building, you're ramping up into the act outs. And, um, and music has to often be a little more, I don't want to say heavy-handed, but um, it essentially, I mean, I view music as being, or, or film scores or TV scores as being kind of a roadmap that mm-hmm. helps the audience you know, follow the story or subtext or whatever it happens to be. And then in television, especially if you're dealing with on a platform where there are commercials, um, it's, it's kind of like, if, I don't know, sit down and watch any movie and, uh, and, and expect to be interrupted every, you know, uh, 12 minutes or so, and then have a commercial break for two, three minutes, and then come back into it. You've kind of been distracted a little bit from where you are in the story. So, with television, at least on networks where there are commercials, the music kind of has to, in a, in a more abrupt manner, kind of ramp you out and then bring you right back in and try to establish for the audience where we are, you know, mood-wise. Um, you know, maybe we ended on a high-tension moment, goes to commercial, and we've now watched a commercial, um, I don't know, a dad sending his, his daughter off in a car, and there's like a, a diaper commercial and a commercial for, uh, you know, I don't know, the probably cell phone service. <laughs> and then by the time you come Can back you hear me to now? the show, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You have all that in your mind. You have, you know, lots of pop songs and things that have been cut into those commercials. And then the, and the show comes back on and it's not fresh with you anymore. You don't know exactly where you left off and, and you need to kind of reset. And often with, with, like network TV especially, you'll see the music instantly bringing you back into like, oh, we were in a tense moment, the suspension music. And in, in films, you know, it's a it's a longer arc. You're not being disrupted generally. And um, you can just take your time. Uh, there's gen- Generally, there's a lot more space, depending. I mean, if you're looking at like an X-Men movie or something, Supernatural or sci-fi, there's often a lot more music and, and it works a little harder. But generally with films, you can just take more time, and there's you don't have to have you know the, the music instantly remind somebody what's going on or where they left off because they've been you know they've been there with the story the entire time. So I think that's that's a big difference, and and so it's just it's more storytelling technique, and uh, that you have you know in accounting for you know the, the different format. And then the other thing I guess I would say, which applies to all TV. Uh, for the most part, is because, you know, most movies, unless they're sequels or uh, Lord of the Rings, where you might, you know, if you watch it consecutively, I don't know, is it nine hours <laughs> or more if you add on The Hobbit? I think, I think it's a whole so, year if you if you take the entire thing. Yeah, exactly. Whole yeah. year of your life, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Harry Potter, you know, we'll, we'll talk again in 2018 when we finish watching it, you know. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I think if you look at, like, the Harry Potter's, films, for example, or anything where it's a sequel, that to me is similar to television as well, where because it's such a long story, uh, television functions in that way very much, you know, like whether it's an HBO show or uh, an ABC show, for example, when you have such a long arc that you're, you know, structurally just kind of planning out a score slightly in a different manner where you're, you know, your themes that reoccur and maybe they don't come back for four episodes and they are almost like a... You know, it's a mnemonic device for for the audience to, to, you know, five episodes later bring them back to a moment that occurred, you know, in an episode they watched uh, a month ago. Right. And um, and and keeping track of that stuff is just part of the process. And then, and again, in, what's hard too sometimes with them, unless you're, you know, these Netflix shows and some of them where you're, um, they tend to create all the shows before they're released, it's a bit different. But generally for a network television show, for example, you don't know where, you know, as a closer, I don't know really where the story is going. A lot of times no one really shares it with you. If anything, you might know one episode in advance or two. But um, so it's, you know, sometimes you're just guessing and hoping that the 
roadmap that you've made for the audience make sense 22 episodes later and that you've connected all the dots musically. Well, that, and, um, yeah, that's a challenge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that begs one of my, what was going to be one of my next questions, which is, you know, you're the first composer we've ever had on, on the show. So this might be a very obvious question or it might have a more obvious answer that's not apparent to me, but it seems like a chicken and an egg situation. And I'm always curious, what comes first, the the filming itself, or do you get to give the writers a, a little bit of a sample of music and, and maybe that informs something that they... Uh, the way they create the tense moment. Are you writing to what was already filmed or is it somewhere else in the process? Well, it's uh, generally, yes. I mean, I've, I've done things where I've come onto projects very early on when there's just the script and, and, uh, and sometimes that's just even in the process of getting the, the gig is, you know, Hey, we have a script. We're looking at three guys, uh, write something, you know, and, uh, and then you write something and, um, you know, hopefully it resonates with them and, and the creators of the show or the film say, hey, you know, you're our guy. Uh, other times, you know, when when I was on Quantico, um, I essentially got a script and was just trying to get a jump start and started kind of writing. And then it was sort of just trying to find um, a tone, you know, more than anything and then creating material and sending it off to the creator of the show to say, hey, you know, this is this resonating with you at all? And early on, he started just having those tracks available and would make a playlist for himself of the tracks I'd written, plus, you know, other music that he had been listening to. And he would write, you know, with that stuff playing in the background. But generally, um, it's very much, you know, when what's tricky about, you know, when working to film or, or any, any film or television, the, the, the way it's shot, the color choices, the cinematography choices, the um, the pace of the editing, the actor's delivery. There are so many variables that can change how music will work or what the scene requires. That really, generally, it, it you need to have picture to be able to know it's gonna it's gonna land and it's gonna make sense. And um, and there are times too where it's just you know the scene didn't turn out the way that, you know, the producers and directors and everybody had anticipated, for example, where maybe it was the actor was having an off day or mm-hmm. um, they just something, somehow somebody missed the mark and they, and they said, you know what, the scene didn't come together the way we had pictured it and we really wanted to convey this type of emotional state. And it's sort of there on screen, but not really, and it's not obvious. Can we have music that helps bring out the subtext of whatever this one character's perspective is? And that's something that, you know, no one really knows until they finally have, you know, footage in front of them and it's edited together. So really for me, the the bulk of the work, um, other than some early conceptualizing, is picture gets sent to me, whether it's, you know, um, rough cuts or and generally it's a rough cut and you kind of are fine, fine-tuning as... Um, you know, the, the picture gets fine-tuned as well. Uh, definitely with films, for example. On John Wick 2, yes. there, were, there were a lot of cuts. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the first reel uh, of that film, I'm trying to think, I think, that, I think there were, I don't even know what the final lock number was. I think it might have been 48 or 49 cuts of reel one. Wow. Um, so it was constantly kind of, it was, I don't know, it was like, chairs or, uh, or Tetris, <laughs> <It's just this laughs> moving, moving targets. And some of that was, you know, they, um, they did a series of reshoots and, and for the front of the film and changed some stuff. They swapped out an actor and, and then, you know, new footage came in last minute and then and that stuff was getting worked in. And it's just, you know, you're, you're sort of chasing that. And without having, picture to work to, I mean, especially in an action film, I don't know what the, unless the music is just supposed to be ambiance in the background, it's not really going to land on anything. So anyway, the, I guess the short answer is for the most part, it's really just um, working to picture and uh, definitely in TV because it just moves so quickly. And then in film, the film world, I mean, there are some situations where you'll write music in advance and especially in, and I haven't worked on any, but if someone's doing a musical or something, you know, they're, they're very much going to have uh, songs and, and numbers written in advance so they can do the choreography and, and shoot for that stuff. And then you're kind of fine-tuning it as, the, as it progresses. 
And then on the animated films, I, um, when I for the years I spent working with John Powell, I think the mm-hmm. first one uh, I came on board during Shrek, yes. and that and which was which was a really fun experience. And I still love that film, but that yeah, was an interesting one to yeah. watch as far as uh, you know you're on those films a lot longer. It's not, you know, uh, the first John Wick, I was, I, it was probably two and a half months, two and a half. Yeah. It was two and a half months between the first, I think, screening that I went to and then delivering a score for the mix. And, uh, whereas Shrek, I mean, when I was working with John, I, I don't even know how long. I mean, some, some of those things you can be on, I think in uh, Stallion, what was that film? Um, Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron was another animated film I was on when it, John and Gavin were, were business partners and I, and I worked with both of them and uh, and these were things that people would stay on for a year or two and and music's being crafted and then the animations being made and it's just kind of it goes back and forth um, Gavin for example on the second Trek had uh, written this song the Fairy Godmother tune. Yeah. And I, I, I remember him just yeah. in, in his studio just constantly doing revisions and changes because, you know, the, the picture was just, you know, they could redraw anything. They could make anything, you know. The next week, it's, you know, everything's been shifted. And it's just kind of, you know, you spend a while or months going back and forth on some of those scenes. So mm-hmm. that's, that's more of a, a give-and-take relationship because the picture, I think, is being influenced by the music and the music's influencing the picture, you know, just, or back and forth. Um uh, but generally, for say something like John Wick, it, it tends to be, you know, you get a cut, you work for that cut, you write music that fits the cut, and then h- hope that picture doesn't change too dramatically, you know, three days later, and essentially you just keep revising uh, the music to, until the time runs out, and um, and that's kind of more or less how it works. No, that makes sense. So uh, I want to go inside the process for John Wick 2. And it's not all music, right? You use some organic sound, too, when you're putting your compositions together. So I guess to start you off to take us inside this process, I'll ask one of my favorite questions uh, whenever we get to somebody who, who does something like this. Where do you start? How does it even begin to start to come together? Uh, I, I generally starts with a lot of swearing. Um, I find <laughs> a lot. Um, I don't know. Every project's different as far as there are some projects you get on. There's some films, for example, where you sit down and you go, this, there's a clear path here. You know, you get uh, uh, it somehow it instantly speaks to you and says, this is what will fit and what will work. And some, you know, every film's more, more conventional than others. Uh, I, um, I was speaking to a friend yesterday about, uh, he brought up the film Drive. Mm-hmm. And Drive was one I, I, I was thinking, like, oh, you know, I wonder if you took that same film without any music in it, there was no temp music or anything, you handed that to four different composers, it would be interesting to see where they went with it. You know, the, the choices that uh, Cliff Martinez made are, were really specific and unique and i don't know if it was the director who guided guided him in that direction but you just never know you know it's about finding a tone for film so you know i mean john wick 2 to me is because john wick 1 and john wick 2 are essentially the the second one starts i can't remember if it's the next day or four days later i'd have to look at the script again um it's to me the the they're kind of the same film it's just an extension of it you know john at the end of the first film walks off over the bridge with his dog and then the second one starts, and he's already, you know, trying to get his car back from the night or, you know, two days prior. And um, so, in some regards, John Wick Two, it was, it was, it was easier in that there was already a tone established. I mean, the the tone and the kind of musical approach for the film, you know, being that it was an extension from the first one, really, I was able to go, okay, this is the palette. This is kind of um, some of the you know, the musical language and things that I did in the first one. So really the, the story for how does it start goes back to the first one where, uh, you know, I went to a screening and saw a rough cut of the, the film and they had, I don't know where, what the temp music was, but generally you're seeing, you know, uh, a, it was, a, I think, a family and friends screening I had gone to. For, uh, it wasn't a full, yeah, it was that, not a test screening, but they had, you know, the film's in pretty good shape. And, you know, there's still missing visual effects and some things like that. But, you know, it was close to being, you know, it was getting close to being a lock time. And they had some temporary music in place. And the music was just um, extremely dark and very, very serious at all times. And 
I remember uh, Chad and Dave, who were the directors on the first one, said, mm-hmm. you know, hey, we want this movie to be fun. And I was very confused by that because the movie I watched <laughs> with this tent music was not fun at all, at least because there, there was, the music never let it be fun. And, and, uh, and we talked about it um, uh, later on where I think it was, I was chatting with Dave and I was like, yeah, I got to be honest with you. I, when you guys said fun, I really I didn't know what you were talking about, having seen that, that cut at the time. And Dave was like, oh, yeah, no, I could see your face. You know, you look perplexed by that. And I was like, because, yeah, it really looked like it was just a guy murdering people with the most <laughs> ominous, threatening music ever for, you know, an hour and a half. And um, so my process was to take the film. They sent, you know, I got um, that cut, essentially. And I, I was able to, in Pro Tools, take out and mute all of the temp music. And I just watched the film without music to try to figure out what was fun. And then it turned out that there were these quirky moments and, you know, John, the fat, one of the quirky things with John Wick's character is how he's a, not only is he a man of few words, but he always hangs up on everybody on, during every phone call. Yeah. They, you know, or, or he doesn't talk at all. They call him and then it's silence and he hangs up on them. And there were these little beats, essentially, essentially like these comedic beats that the temp music was just rolling through in an ominous manner. And the music, when, when, you know, music, that's the thing is what's kind of cool about scores in general is they can really, you know, on a, in a subconscious way, kind of tap into an audience and say, you know, feel this, feel threatened, feel, you know, safe, feel happy, you know, feel joy in this moment. And because there were these comedic kind of moments and the music was essentially saying, you know, this is threatening at all times, I didn't, I didn't have those experiences watching it until I needed the music. So first it was muting all the music watching it and going, okay, I can see where there are moments where they're not taking themselves too seriously and where it is supposed to be a little campy in this moment or where it's supposed to be kind of quirky and have, you know, more of a Tarantino kind of thing where it's hyper violent. But at the same time, there's these nuances that, you know, they, that both Dave and Chad really wanted to emphasize to give it, you know, a little bit of levity and and so then it was just a process of trying, this is where the swearing begins yeah. <laughs> to go, yeah. all right, how do you make this work now? And, um, you know, and also, you know, the, the music for the film had to cover a lot of different territories. You know, it covered uh, the emotional aspect of John losing his wife. It covered, um, you know, some of the utilitarian aspects of needing driving music for action sequences. And, and then, just the tone and look of the film, what kind of fit. And I couldn't, you know, sometimes on a project I'll, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll just throw, you know, whether it's my own or someone else's existing music up against picture and see what it does, you know, see how it makes you feel. And with the first comic, I just found nothing was really working. It was, it wasn't clicking for whatever reason. So then it became, again, the swearing and and getting kind of stressed out and just experimenting. And then it was really just, plugging an instrument and just playing the picture and then seeing if anything came out of it. And then uh, I tend to take naps. <laughs> <laughs> so I, and I don't know. And they're, they're not like they're constructive naps. I think in the sense that I'm sort of half asleep and I'm just sort of running the images through my head. And sometimes the, I don't know, there's just sort of something comes out of it generally where you start to picture, you know, your brain starts to connect dots and you start to see something working. Well, it's, it's shutting out all of the other processes and just when you, when you fall asleep, you, yeah, it, you're not the only one that that happens to. So that that makes entire sense. Oh, good. I'm glad (laughs) it does that for you. Uh, Cause uh, yeah, I've, I've never really talked to anybody about it before. So it's just, it's part of, it's become part of my processes. I'll, I'll usually just then try to take a few naps or, go to bed and sleep on it and, and see if the next morning, and sometimes I'll wait, you know, at three in the morning or four in the morning, I'll pop up and go, oh, now I have an idea and I can't sleep and I'll go start to try to bang it out. But this, with the, with the first film, I mean, my, my thoughts on it were, and it kind of came to me one day with the way that John walks and, you know, John Wick walks is there's, there's kind of, he seems like he's been beaten down. Uh, he's, he's, you know, um, I don't know. He's, it's like every day is a struggle in a way. And he's, he's trying to get out of the life that he has. And uh, his wife died and now his dog died. And, and I, I remember thinking, I was like, oh, my God, this whole thing is like it could be a country song or it's, you know, <laughs> a, a blues song. And then that led me to kind of the bluesy thing where I started playing around with just this 
shuffle stomp kind of thing. And I was like, well, he walks with kind of a shuffle. And it just, and then I started thinking about what, what kind of music does this guy listen to? And, and I feel like, you know, I don't mean part of it's his beard as well. I felt like he's listening to old blues, uh, some, some, uh, maybe like band of horses, uh, mm-hmm. for modern day kind of, uh, indie shoegazer rock ass, uh, for, uh, for other things. And, and then I started playing around with those ty- some of those types of sounds and atmospheres on texture, you know, guitar going through pedals and delays and things. And it, and it, and it started to resonate with him. It seemed like it started to fit picture in a way that was interesting. And, uh, and then, yeah, just started kind of banging stuff out and, um, and then, a, and then creating music at, at first without picture after at a certain point, I just kind of shut it off. I spent a week just generating and creating ideas. And then, with kind of holding on to how the, the picture made me feel, you know, and, and having slept on it and napped on it a few times and then created, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe 10, 10, 15 minutes with the music and then started cutting it around the film and seeing, did, did it connect at all? And, and the bulk of it did, it seemed to, to resonate with the images and then, um, and then went in and kind of fine tuned it to fit picture, you know, and move things around and, chop guitars up and whatnot and, you know, place this instrument here and that instrument there to figure out a dialogue. And then the next step is presenting it to the directors to go, okay, is this, is this working for anybody else? And then once they give a green light and say, yeah, we really like this. And then you start to move forward and just, you know, um, I guess it start you start building the house at that point. You've already, you know, you've created the blueprints and you just start going for it. And then, that, so that extends into John Wick 2, where John Wick 2 comes along, and they the temp music for it that they had cut in, the bulk of it, I mean, 90% of it, I think, was all from the first film. So <laughs> it was a bit of a different process, because all of a sudden you're not thinking as much about, you know, at least the John aspect in his character. You go, okay, I get what, what the sound is for him and how that works. And then it's just that the struggle was how do you sort of reinvent yourself while not straying too far away from it because you don't want it to, it's still the same film in a way. There is the same tone. Um, how do you stay true to, you know, it becomes branding in a way like the James Bond films, you know, mm-hmm. how do you create and stay in that world, but, you know, not just be regurgitating exactly what you did. And then with this one, uh, the cool thing is because they go to Rome for uh, a part, part of the film, Chad, the director said he wanted you know, really much to have some kind of a shift tonally between, you know, the, the look of Rome and the look of the New York City sequences are very different. And um, New York is much more, it's just sort of blue and, and uh, it's essentially a gray blue palette. And then Rome is just extremely colorful and there's, you know, there's art and um, uh, the, the look of the city and it's it's got this, you know, historical uh, Italian thing going on that he wanted to find a way to tap into musically. And that kind of started the process in a way for me, at least that was similar to the first film where I kind of was, you know, if you had boxes to check off, you'd say, okay, the John Wick, uh, John, his character and kind of some of his sequences tonally get where to go with this check, you know, but now it was the Santino character and his sister and the Rome stuff that really required some of that, similar to the first film, just trying to figure out, okay, what approach works. Um, and the cool thing, I think, uh, what, I, what I enjoyed a lot with the Rome stuff was that, for whatever reason, it just harmonically, I was able to um, open up a bit more and try different things and bring in things like um, all the texture, like the mandolin stuff that played for the Santino character and adding cellos and just and some additional string stuff that was a little more just kind of tapping into the you know, more classical and, uh, you know, hinting at an Italian sound and bringing that into the John Wick world and finding a way to make those, you know, very different musicalities work together. And that was, that was kind of the, the, I guess the, the puzzle to figure out the big challenge of the film for me at least. And, and then, you know, you, you come up with stuff and then it's the same thing, swearing at yourself until, (laughs) until it, it locks in. And then feeling a ball of insecurity until you play it, you know, well, sit hey. down with Chad and play it and have him go, hey, this works. <laughs> I, I'm, you know, you're not the only one. I'll be recording stuff here. I'll be doing, you know, the the way we work here is I, I do a before and an after uh, for the interviews. I do what they call in media wraps. I 
plunk the interview in the middle, but I, you know, introduce the guest uh, separately from recording these interviews. And, and every time I go to record, sometimes, you know, I'll start to say two words and then all of a sudden it's a string of curse words because I screwed up. So, you know, I <laughs> totally get it. I understand. And it's just, I, I, I revere music people so much, musicians, composers, because your brains think so uniquely and so differently. And I'm just curious, uh, before we let you go here, I know we're about 13 minutes over time. If you can't believe this already, I hope I'm not keeping you from anything. I'm sorry. I, I can give you a shorter answer. No, don't worry about it. I don't want to keep you. Myself. Don't, don't censor I, no, yourself. I, 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 uh, if, if you need more time, I have it today. So, no, no, uh, this is great. No, you've answered, you've hit on everything. To be honest, this is one of the few moments where I haven't talked about politics on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> Cathartic. Okay, so let's get your thoughts on Donald Trump. And no, no, please not. No. not. Not anymore. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm curious. What do, what do you listen to in your? Um, I, I mean, because obviously music composition is 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 different. What kind of what kind of popular music uh, piques your interest? What what's on your iPod? I know that's a cheesy question, but I think it is relevant when you're working in such a unique realm of music, what do you just listen to to decompress and just to enjoy for enjoyment's sake? It is kind of, I mean, it's, it's always been all over the place, but I've, I've expanded upon the funny thing was, you know, and during the, I think John Powell still, this is his advice to everybody, but in all the years I worked with him, he was always swearing and telling people, stop listening to all this film music, cut it out. You know, if anything, go back and listen to, uh, you know, if if so much of the film music is based off of or inspired by classical music, he, his perspective was just that film after film after film, it just sounds like everyone's kind of recycling the same ideas. And John used to send me out to, uh, it was pretty, it was kind of, it was, it was an ideal thing. I mean, I was very young at the time, but he gave me a credit card with no limit and <laughs> we like, just go to, at the time there was a tower record store. I don't know if they still exist anywhere, but I, you know, just go there and buy up everything. Anything you think that looks good, let's just get it. And, you know, and it'd be Justin Timberlake or anything for that matter. We just were always listening to music. And for myself, that always worked for me because I like to listen to a lot of different stuff. And I do listen to, um, you know, it kind of, it goes day by day. It's random. Uh, the other day I took a walk, um, cause it was nice out and I said I should probably do something like that. <laughs> and, uh, and was listening to, uh, which was a film score, but uh, Bernard Herrmann's Psycho, which I thought was interesting to walk around the neighborhood. It kind of... Uh, just, just have a knife move. in your hand. Bleep, bleep, bleep. Yeah, you know, and, um, and, then, and then I had, I had uh, was listening to actually another, yeah, the week before I did the same thing, but it was, um, it was a film score again. It was, uh, which one was it? It was, um, it was one of, it's, the most recent Star Wars that John Williams had done. Um, and that was the same thing. I like to kind of like drawing music up against picture. I find it interesting to walk around with headphones on, you know, earbuds in and just see what score does to day to day life. Um, one of my favorite things ever, which is, it's a, it's a piece that's been around for a while. Um, but I really love the track by Radiohead, uh, how to completely disappear and putting that on and walking around an airport, like out here in LA in LAX <laughs> with that on is fantastic. And years ago I went to Japan and I did the same thing there and it was even, it was even better because I felt like I had already disappeared because I, I could pretty much, I couldn't say anything in, in Japanese. So <laughs> I, I might as well have been invisible. Um, but yeah, I mean, it varies. I mean, um, uh, you know, I love everything from, uh, Damien Rice and um, uh, Tom Waits, I'm a huge fan of, and Peter Gabriel. Just uh, Peter Gabriel and Tom Waits, I love because their music has so many interesting kind of textures and sounds. And Peter Gabriel, for example, just you know, his he, he has his world uh, record label, and he pulls in just anything imaginable gets kind of turned into uh, what could be considered kind of a pop song. And um, so I, I like listening to that stuff a lot. I love listening to uh, Radiohead because I don't know what Tom York is singing about and it just kind of takes me into a place. I mean, essentially, I, for me, music is kind of, it's just like what headspace do I want to be in in a given day? Yep. Um, and so, yeah, Tool is a band as far as for the, like on the hard rock side of things, I've always really enjoyed. And that's, and it's kind of a similar thing where I don't know what, what they're talking about, you know, and it just sort of takes you somewhere. And that, for me, really shuts off... Um, the over 
overanalyzing musical mind at times, you know. I think that's both Radiohead and Tool do that for me, where um, the, the music, you can very easily get lost in it because it's just, especially with Tool, where it's all the polyrhythms and everything they're doing, it's, it's just easier to get kind of lost in the groove and, and just, you know, have it really create a mood for you instead of going, oh, they went from this chord to that chord and, you know, this is what they're doing. Um, I like to listen to Stravinsky a lot. Uh, I just, I've always found it in a similar way because of uh, uh, whether it's Firebird, uh, for example, or uh, The Rite of Spring. I, I always loved how harmonically, he, you know, he created his own language and it's not something I listen to and my ear doesn't start deconstructing it. It's sort of experienced it. So that's kind of part of, you know, I don't know. That's, I listen to a lot of different stuff. I mean, whether it can be, uh, Oddly, last night, I, so I'm working with, because um, I do engineering stuff and mix stuff and mm-hmm. producing things, and I'm working with right now um, a young um, producer slash artist named Tim Suvi, and his his stuff is living more in pop and hip-hop and kind of experimental stuff than, you know, I don't, he, I forgot what who it was last night. He turned on this Justin Bieber track that I didn't think I would like, and I was kind of mad at him. I was like, I actually really like it. <laughs> it was, a, a, you know, so I'm, I'm pretty much open to anything. Uh, I, I, and I'm, I'm a friend of mine named Kenneth Pattingale. I am in awe of his musicality, his personality, his musicianship in general, but he's part of um, a group called the Milk Carton Kids. Um, he and Joey Ryan. And I, I, I love listening to them. They do, it's a, they're a folk duo and um, fantastic playing and, uh, I, I love the idea. What I really enjoy about listening to them, for example, is that they are two guys with t- uh, two uh, vintage acoustic guitars. You put two mics in front of them and you say, go. There's yeah. no click track. It, it's just live, living and breathing music. And a few years back, I saw them uh, perform at um, a great venue here called Largo, and the power went out. And, uh, you know, they're, they're guys that can, they can play, you know, you, they don't, they don't need electricity. It's just, I, that too, I love the, to listen to stuff like that because it's just, you know, so much of what I do, unfortunately, or for better or worse, you know, there are pros and cons to it because I have to work with a computer system in order to, you know, sync up video and record all this stuff that, um, uh, you start to feel like you're a computer programmer or you're at the helm of a spaceship or something, you know, with all the technology around you. And um, I really enjoy listening to music sometimes that just, you know, there was really, it, it, it could have been made in 1950. Yeah. The same, you know, and, and so that I find uh, really enjoyable as well. Um, I could go on for, I, there's so much different, you know, so many different types of music that on a daily basis I'll absorb and uh, enjoy. So, and from, and I love the production elements of certain things. So, so depending on my mood, if I'm looking to listen to something that's really production heavy, I'll go in a certain direction. Or if I'm in a rock mood, I'll go, you know, pop on some, either it's Tool or Zeppelin or something like that. Or uh, Pink Floyd is always a go-to for me because it kind of covers a lot of territory. And then, uh, and then you know, um, I don't know if I'm in a depressed state, I guess I put on Damien Rice and, and, uh, <laughs> or Fiona Apple, for example. If I feel like listening to someone who I think probably needs a hug and having a bad day so yeah a little bit of everything really no no, that's excellent and so my last question for you is what is your advice to musicians to composers out there that maybe want to get into to film composing and and start working in in film music well um i mean i I think i have there's a handful of things i think to say about it i mean one of the first things i think that i've never really heard anybody mention before and I, I think this applies to really anything in life. I mean, especially if you're uh, in a profession or on a career path that is, um, can be completely, uh, I don't know, just, just endlessly time-consuming, is that, uh, one, you have to be passionate about whatever you're interested in, whether it's music or anything like that. But also, and I, and I struggle with this, which is to this day still learning to find a way to strike balance. I mean, early on coming into this career path, I wanted to, like, I mean, I generally, when I'm on these films, I, you know, I'm working seven days a week, and um, it's trying to find a way to strike balance is such an important thing. And when you get off of something, to learn to take vacations and to learn to make time for friends and family members and things like that, I think it's uh, that's something that 
you know, a lot of composers in particular are really bad about. And um, I, I'm trying to be more and more to to friends of mine and colleagues and and um, and younger composers I know just to kind of say, hey, you know, it's great that you have this pristine, uh, never-ending work ethic. That's beautiful. At the same time, go outside, go for a jog, take a walk, go, go on a date, do something. You know, get and, and the more that you go out into the world. And, and get away from just, you know, writing music. So my perspective is that you, you go out, you have life experiences, and that, gives, that influences what you come back with. It changes your mood. It changes your mm-hmm. headspace. So you can, I don't know, think fondly of this experience or this girl you met or whatever it happens to be, and then pour that into the, the project. Because to me, music is nothing but a, a, an emotional way to communicate. And then for film and television, you know, you're trying to, do just that for these characters. So the more that you can connect to an emotional state other than just sitting in front of a computer or playing an instrument, I think that's, that's a good thing to be able to have some real world experience and get out there. So that, I mean, that doesn't have you get into film scoring or TV scoring or making a career doing this, but I just think it's good. I like guess it's a good, healthy thing for all of us to do. Um, but as far as, you know, I mean, everyone's past different. I know I have, uh, uh, friends that, who are you know very successful composers who you know somehow just sort of you know, I, you know they never worked for another composer they just somehow got on a film did a handful of indie films and one of them was a hit and then that opened up the you know the doors to them and they started getting larger and larger projects I know other guys who uh, well I'm like myself for example I, I started when I came out here I started in music editing and learned a ton um, my first year doing that. And I thought for me that was a, a really good way to not think about the music that you write, but think about how does music work against picture and really just spend time seeing what the relationship is. And then when uh, John Powell and Gavin Greenaway, um, Jeff Sinelli was a, had, had been working for them for a bunch of years, and he was leaving to go on his own. And, I, and John Powell being who... The, the composer that wrote the um, Forces of Nature score that that was inspiring to me, you know, some years prior, uh, having an opening, I said, hey, I want to go in here and, and see if I can get a job with them. And I spent, you know, I think about four years working with them. And it was a great experience to just, um, it doesn't, you don't, you don't walk out of that. You know, a lot of these guys and I have friends that have gone over like Hans Zimmer's place and other studios. You know, it's not that it's silly that you're going there and you shouldn't go there with the expectation that this is going to lead to a career. Well, for me, what it was is it's very much an education. You know, I, I got to step in and work with John and see him, you know, at the, uh, working on top level studio films and see what the politics are like, see what the process is like, see what, you know, where the stress comes from to, to be a part of something where you're seeing what the deadlines can be like to see what, what it's like when a film goes wrong, you know, or when the score gets thrown out and then you have to start over again to kind of be able to, uh, to be a part of that without being, you know, the one under the gun essentially, um, I think is a great, for me, it was a great experience. And I think that's something that could be beneficial for a lot of younger composers to really, so that I think it, it helps make you more prepared so that when you do go off on your own and you start doing larger projects, you have some tools. You know, if, if we as humans learn a lot from each other and and, uh, and we can mimic each other in that way, if I, I you know, um, we're all different, but at the same time, if there was a stress technique or maybe something that John did in meetings that I can remember or, or you know, a certain way to carry yourself that you can bring that with you when you go on to your own projects, that can be helpful or recording techniques there's just so much you need to know now to do this job like recording techniques production techniques things that you're just learning by being in that environment is so invaluable i don't i don't know where else you get it from you don't get it from there's not there's no real school because it's just you know i mean you go to college you learn a bunch of stuff but it's not the same as the real world scenario at this point and so that's something i i i think at least for me was a great experience and i learned a tremendous amount from it and uh i still look back on those days in a very positive light and uh i would i would recommend that uh if that works for them if they happen to be the person that scored three indie films and one of them uh blew up then more power to them to go that pathway and then the other thing i would say is to just maybe yeah i mean 
as a young up and you know coming composer uh, to to tap into colleges and things and find students and young filmmakers and to to view it as you know one it's giving you potential there's a, you're creating a potential where you can work on a film that will again maybe perhaps turn into uh, a hit and then that kind of sends you on your way or you form a great relationship with the director who um, takes you with them and you guys you know have a long you know collaboration hopefully and uh, collaborative you know working relationship for years to come and uh, beyond that I just think the experience of working on student films and things like that at least for me there was it gives you time to kind of make mistakes figure stuff out and find your own way you know there's there's a million you can you can take a one scene and throw 20 different pieces of music under it and some of them won't work, and then there might be a handful that really do work, and they work in completely different ways, in ways that you wouldn't necessarily uh, expect. So being able to you know, do indie films and student films, like especially if you're very young, I think is a great way to just sort of get out there and you know, just experiment. It's almost like the equivalent of if you're in a band and you, you know, when you're 13 and you're just in the garage or something banging out stuff and making noise, you're, kind, you're just trying to figure something out, you know, and giving yourself time to do that and doing it and learning to collaborate with young directors. And I, I think is, is just a, a really good way to get, um, to get yourself to have some of the, the tools that you need to actually do the job and then just kind of take it from there. Just keep collecting tools until you fill up your toolbox and hopefully you get an opportunity to kind of just, you know, take it to the next level and then just keep going with it. That is excellent. I think it all comes back to just making noise. Joel J. Richard, thank yes. you so much. This was really, really fun. I, Wow. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for spending all this extra time, and uh, please come back. This was, this was really awesome. Oh, absolutely, man. It's been, it's been a, a, an enjoyable experience on my end, so thank you for having me, and I, I hope my rambling was somewhat cohesive. <laughs> no, it was great. And useful. <laughs> Thank you so much, Joel. This was a joy to get to do, to get to talk to you. You are welcome back anytime for, heck, we could go for two hours. I loved it. Everyone, if you go see John Wick Chapter 2, and I encourage you to do so, when you go, listen to the music. Think about the music. Think about the things Joel and I talked about here today, and think about how important the score is to creating that tension and putting you on the edge of that cinema seat. That's it for us today. Remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Talk for Two. Instagram is at Talk for Two Cast, which is also our email, Talk for Two Cast at gmail.com. Talk about us using hashtag Talk for Two. And of course, don't forget to check out what I love to call the mothership, Talk for Two. Dot com. Signing off for Talk for Two, I'm Matt Bailey, reminding everyone out there to keep talking for two. You can hear more show business interviews with the stars at talkfor2.com.